It's a short reading this morning, but Matthew chapter 13, and just a few sentences beginning at verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In Douglas Adams' wonderful novel, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Somewhere in the universe, an advanced group of people decide to make themselves a supercomputer. Now, they do this for one reason and one reason alone. That is, they want the supercomputer to answer what they believe is the ultimate question, the meaning of life, the universe and everything. Now, on the day of the great on-turning, two men approach the computer expectantly and voice the question. And when the computer answers that he is able to answer the question, their excitement only grows. But then the computer drops the bombshell that it's going to take a little while. To be precise, it's going to take 7.5 million years to process that question. The story then jumps forward 7.5 million years and descendants of these two men return to the computer again expectantly asking, have you got the answer? And the computer says, yes, but you're not going to like it. (laughs) They're a little concerned, but they say, tell us anyway, we need to know the answer. What is it? So the writer says that in, in in a way that is infinitely majestic and calm, The computer says the answer to the great question of life, the universe and everything, is 42. Now, that's not really the answer that people were hoping for. They were a little disappointed, and there's a bit of an argument breaks out with the computer. It didn't really make much sense. And the big problem is there's nothing you can do with the answer. They wanted an answer that was going to change what they would do. I think, really, that was the author's point. He sees mankind as obsessed with asking a question which, in his view, has no objective answer. He doesn't think we should be wasting our time. And that's why he says the answer is 42 in a bit of a joke. And yet, for us to make any sense of the world, in some way, we need to be able to have an answer to that question, even if we can't verbalise it. What we do will very much be dictated by what we think the point of life here on earth is. We need to have an answer to that question. We need to have a story which we can tell, which gives everything else meaning. Now, some would say that life is all about being good. Find a good set of morals and do your best to follow them. Others would say it's about being true to who you are. That's what we looked at last week. Life is this journey of discovery, discovering your identity and then living it out. Still others would agree with Douglas Adams that there is no answer to the big question of life. So why waste your time thinking about it? Just spend your life enjoying it as much as you can. That's the best you can hope for. I mean, usually that's qualified with this as long as you're not hurting anyone else. And actually, in modern times, an awful lot of people subscribe to that view. 
are they right? Is life simply about being happy? Is that what it all boils down to? Are we right to be so motivated and driven by our own happiness? And if there is a God, does he want us to be happy? I think the common view is that Christianity and happiness are at complete odds with one another. That God is all about being good. He's not interested in being happy. And a key question, and and that's a key reason that people are not interested in learning more about the Christian faith, because they don't want to give up on their happiness. I'd like to suggest this morning that the problem for most of us is not that we are too driven by our desire for happiness. It's that actually our desire for happiness is too easily satisfied. Let me say that again. Our biggest problem is not that we're too driven by our desire for happiness. It's that our happiness is too easily satisfied. I believe that our desire for happiness is a God-given desire. And he placed it in us so that we would be motivated to find the one thing in the world that will give us the most happiness. More happiness than we could ever imagine. There are lots of things in this world that can make us happy. But if we want the most happiness we need to find the source of happiness. Now, before beginning to look at our pursuit of happiness, I should probably start by asking, what is happiness? Well, one way of defining it is this, a mental or emotional state involving positive or pleasant emotions. That sounds like a definition written by someone in IT. Not that there's anything wrong with being in IT, Gerald. You're doing a lovely job, thank you. Please don't turn off my microphone. Um, I've completely lost my train of thought now. (laughs) The thing is, though, is that true? Um, Is that the case? Is that all that happiness is? There are lots of things in this world which can make us happy. But some things have the ability to make us happy, which lasts a lot longer. So let me give you an example. If I eat a chocolate bar, it tends to make me happy. But that happiness does not last for very long. And if I eat two, it tends to start making me feel a little bit unhappy. Whereas if I go somewhere in the world which is really beautiful and enjoy that view, it doesn't just make me happy when I'm there. It makes me happy when I remember it as well. So it seems that there are things which can make us happy in a very short term. And then there are things which can keep us happy in a longer term. Surely if we're really serious about hunting for happiness, then we should look to those things which keep us happy in the long term. Now, in recent times, a lot of Christians have tried to draw a firm line between happiness and joy. Happiness is seen as a short-lived emotional response, whereas joy is something deeper, something more permanent, not based upon circumstances. I would completely agree that there is a difference between the two. But drawing such a distinct line between them is perhaps unhelpful. It's definitely the case that we can have happiness without experiencing joy. But can we really have joy if we never experience happiness? Could you describe someone as joyful if they're never happy? I would suggest that you can't. A joy which doesn't at the very least occasionally manifest itself in happiness doesn't sound like a very sincere joy to me. Perhaps the difference between them is not quite as big as we might have thought. So we've had a good idea of what happiness is. The big question then is, 
Where do we find it? Where do we go looking? Well, most of us start pretty small. We know that ideally we want to find this deep, long-lasting happiness, but as a southeast London geezer I used to work with would say, that's mish, mate. <laughs> that's roughly translated as that is a mission or that is hard work. So instead, we settle for something a little easier. We settle for what you could just call a quick dose of dopamine. But do those little hits of temporary happiness really make us any happier in the long run? I would suggest that some of them can actually make us less happy. I'll give you two examples. So firstly, being stuck inside a lot over the last couple of years has changed a lot of our habits. And I'm not just talking about eating too many chocolate bars and not exercising enough. A recent analysis of Google Trends has shown a massive increase in the amount of online pornography that's being viewed. Now, if life is all about being happy, what's the problem with this? If we put aside any arguments about the actual industry itself, and if we put aside any arguments about the morality of pornography, what's the problem? If it makes you happy, then surely it should be encouraged. Well, the thing is, we're seeing that increasingly, that actually, although there is a small amount of dopamine that's dished out, in the long run, it makes people unhappy. There's a growing amount of research which demonstrates that watching porn regularly actually is a harmful habit. It's now widely agreed that it actually changes the way that we think. Brain scans have shown conclusively that it rewires our brains. It changes the way which we do things. The more it's watched, the less it satisfies. There's a clear correlation between amount of pornography watched and levels of anxiety, depression, ability to concentrate, and a feeling of discontentment. As people crave this imaginary world they see on their computer screens, they become less content with real life. They become unhappy. And it's not just pornography viewing that's increased. So too has the use of social media. We tend to use it because we are bored. We want to be entertained. We want to feel happy. And sometimes it does make us happy. But just like pornography, we're seeing a rise in studies which identify how harmful it can be for us. Like browsing through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any other platform can start out as just that, like browsing. But before long, it can become an obsessive need for affirmation. As we see unending filtered pictures of people's lives, we can grow increasingly dissatisfied with our own lives. As we spend more and more time in a virtual world, we're becoming increasingly cut off and isolated from the real thing. In both examples, what started as a search for happiness actually becomes the thing which robs us of happiness. So firstly, if we're to take the search, for serious, the search for happiness seriously, surely we should look very carefully at anything which pursues happiness and actually is something which will take away that happiness in the long term. But I'm sure you probably knew that. I'm sure, like me, you may well have a few vices that you enjoy, a few guilty pleasures, but that's not where you pursue real happiness. Real happiness is found in relationships, in family, in friends, in romantic love, in having a fulfilling job, in enjoying nature. 
Maybe for you, happiness is found in preparing for the perfect retirement, hoping to live somewhere beautiful, hopefully with someone beautiful, and enjoying good wine and good food, and enjoying the fact that you're free from the rat run. There's nothing wrong with those things, are there? No, there's not anything wrong with those things. They're perfectly good things which are here to be enjoyed. But the thing we have to ask is whenever we hang our pursuit of happiness on a person or a place or an object or a thing or an idea, the first thing we have to do is ask, can that thing hold the weight of my happiness? Over my life, I have done quite a lot of DIY. Strangely, getting married increased the amount of DIY I did quite a bit. A tool I've used way more than I would like to have done is my drill. Let's just say, if I had a pound for every time I heard the phrase, let's just get dad to put it up on the wall, I would be able to afford a much better drill than the one I currently have. Pictures, shelves, curtain rails, mirrors, bunting, hearts. For some reason, our house is full of hearts hanging all over the place. Now, there's only really two parts to doing the job well. You have to make sure the thing is straight, and you have to make sure that it's not going to fall off. A key part of the role, John's obviously very experienced at that. It sounds like you might have had a few accidents before. Assessing how much weight any given fixing can hold is a key part of the job. This is really key to our understanding of happiness. Before we hang our happiness on any given person or thing or object, we have to ask, will it hold? A lot of the time, our problem is not that we're trying to find happiness in the wrong thing. It's that we're putting too much expectation on something that was never supposed to hold that weight. Romantic love is often held up as the, great, uh, as the greatest happiness you can experience. And many here will testify to the truth in that, that it is a really great thing. But we cannot expect another person to bear the weight of all our happiness all our dreams as the thing which gives our lives meaning. As much as we think we might be putting the other person first, when we put that level of expectation upon someone else, we're actually using that person for our own gain. If, God forbid, my wife, and before you look around, she's out on EK, so she's not going to go red, were to put her all her happiness upon me, it wouldn't take her long to realise she was making a horrible mistake. Don't get me wrong, I love her to bits and we are happy, but I am often grumpy. I'm selfish. I'm ungrateful. I'm insensitive. I get my priorities wrong all the time. In the past, my kids once called me a no manners pig. <laughs> I suppose she could just ditch me and find someone else to make her happy. But actually, because none of us are perfect, it might take a little bit longer, but the same thing is going to end up happening. If someone tries to hang all their happiness on a person, they're going to end up disappointed. The same is true of family or friendship or anywhere else you might look. They're good things which can provide happiness, but not all our happiness, not our ultimate happiness. When we try to place our ultimate happiness on something that can't take that weight, things are all gonna come crashing down. Far from finding happiness, we tend to find disappointment. 
because things just don't pan out the way we wanted them to. We get to our retirement and as nice as drinking wine in the sun is, we begin to ask, is this really as good as life will ever get? My mum and dad loved walking. They used to drag us all around the country when we were kids and we would moan something awful. We'd constantly go, are we nearly there? I'm so tired. Dad had this phrase which became a bit of a family joke in our house. He would say, it's just round the next bend. Now, the thing is, you would get round the next bend and there would be no sign of the car whatsoever. So you'd ask the question again, are we nearly there? I'm so tired. <laughs> and once again, we'd hear the response, it's just round the next bend. Isn't that how our pursuit of happiness feels? It feels like it's always just round the next bend. When I get that promotion, then I'll be happy. When my kids finally sleep through the night, then I'll be happy. When I get a bigger house or an extension or a better car, then I'll be happy. When my husband stops being a no-manners pig, then I'll be happy. The thing is, we get those things and they do make us happy, but it never seems to last long. It always seems to be a fleeting happiness. Lasting happiness just seems tantalizingly close, but it never quite pans out the way we hoped. We seem to have this deep yearning for something more, an itch that we just cannot scratch. So what's the answer then? Well, I think C.S. Lewis, the, the author who wrote uh, the works of Narnia, points us in the right direction when he says this. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We have this deep desire for happiness and not just temporary happiness, a deep, lasting happiness. And it feels like even the very best things in this world just can't satisfy that need. Well, maybe that means we need to consider some other answers. Rather than looking to man-made supercomputers to point us in the right direction, maybe we should try and find someone who is not from this world and ask them what they think. Jesus claimed that he existed before the world was even created, and he has an awful lot to say about the subject of happiness. Perhaps one of the clearest things he says on the subject is when he tells two short stories about men finding objects of incredible value. This is what he said. The word should appear on, your on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These two short stories hold the key to finding happiness. The kingdom of heaven, which Jesus talked about here, is shorthand for God returning everything to the way it was supposed to be. To a loving God, ruling and reigning in such a way that nothing bad will ever happen again. The kingdom, which is at the very heart of the Christian faith, is not just an idea or a philosophy or a list of rules or a burden. It's not about our ability to be good. 
It's a treasure. Jesus wants us to see that the perfect, uh, that God's perfect kingdom and the way in which it is being established is something of incomparable beauty. It's something that is so beautiful that when we discover it, it will change the way that we see everything else. What does the man do when he finds the treasure? He's so enthralled by it that he sells all he has to enable him to make it his own. But don't miss the key, the three key words in these verses, which turn this passage on its head. In his joy. He didn't go back home and begrudgingly sell all that he had. He did it with joy. He was happy. He had found something more valuable than anything else that he had. To find deep, lasting happiness in this world, we must find something that is not only valuable and beautiful. We need to find something which is infinitely valuable and infinitely beautiful. And there is only one treasure that can hold that weight of expectation. The first reading which we had up on the screen this morning was from Psalm 36. Listen to these verses which talk about the happiness we can find in God and his kingdom. They feast on the burden of you, on, on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. This passage doesn't describe God's kingdom as some sort of boring get together. It's a feast, a banquet, a party. And God doesn't just just about meet our need for happiness. It's an abounding feast. There is more than enough. His delights are not poured out in stingy portions. They come from a never ending river. He is the fountain of life. To the extent that we understand that is the extent that we will experience true happiness. God wants his people to be happy. Let me just say that again. God wants his people to be happy. He wants them to find their ultimate happiness which means enjoying the most wonderful thing in all of creation. Our greatest happiness is found in enjoying God, not just the things he gives us, but enjoying him, enjoying the triune God. God's always existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I know that it's hard to get your head around. I still have trouble explaining it well, but it is so important if we are to understand happiness. You see, before God created the world, he wasn't just sitting around twiddling his thumbs, waiting for something to do. He was living in community. Each person of the Trinity was perfectly enjoying the other two in perfect love and joy and happiness. They always have done and they always will do. The great treasure that the man finds in the field is an invitation to join in that perfect relationship. God is perfectly happy and he wants you to share in that happiness. I confess, I sometimes wonder if God really does want me to share in that happiness. But then I remember what it cost him to invite me into the family. 
You see, the family is not just good, it's perfect. So only perfect people can join in the family, which I'm sorry to say rules out every single one of us. We've all turned our back on a loving God who deserves nothing less than our complete adoration. We've all failed to do that. But he's not about to turn his back on us. Before the world was even created, the Father, the Son and the Spirit came up with a rescue plan. They knew that before they could meet our desire for happiness, they must first deal with our biggest problem. The thing that stands between us and God, our rejection of him. This is what the Bible calls sin. The rightful punishment for sin is death. The father loved his people so much that he asked his son if he would be willing to come and die in their place. Jesus doesn't just say yes. Listen to how it's put in Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. When your ultimate happiness is in God, then even the most awful things in this world can't steal your joy. To find happiness, we must recognise that God is the ultimate treasure. Seem like a pretty big ask. Realise that before we treasured Him, He treasured us. He saw such value in His people that He was willing to die in their place. If we could just see how much God loves us. Treasuring him wouldn't be a burden or a barrier to happiness. Instead, we would be willing to give up all we have in joy. Following Jesus will be costly. He makes no promise that life will be easy. He says that it will probably be harder. It's not that Christians are never unhappy. There are times when unhappiness will feel overwhelming. But because our ultimate happiness is not based upon something which can let us down or upon changing circumstances, it means that even the storms of this life, we will still have a reason to rejoice. We will still have hope. And as if that's not enough, finding your happiness in God and putting him and giving him, making him your ultimate treasure and putting him above all other things doesn't mean that we can't enjoy those other things. It means we can enjoy them even more as, we, as they were supposed to be enjoyed. Now, I really love smoky whiskey. It's one of my favourite drinks. It takes me back to a holiday when I was a kid. We went to Ireland where every day we'd go off and we'd explore the rugged coastline and enjoy fishing and spending time together. But then every night we would gather around this enormous warm fire it was it was burning on peat dried out peat bog as well which has got this amazing aroma every time i take a sip of a really smoky whiskey it takes me back to that place it takes me back to the smell and the warmth and the enjoyment but here's the thing about whiskey you can't enjoy it if you're already thirsty Whiskey was never supposed to satisfy that need. If you're thirsty, you need to go and have a drink of water. Whiskey won't meet that need. When we've seen that our ultimate happiness is met in Jesus, 
we don't need to try and find our meaning and our need, that need for happiness in other things, things that were never supposed to meet that need. We can now enjoy them as they were supposed to be enjoyed. Finding your happiness in Jesus and seeing that every good thing is a gift from him means we can enjoy those gifts all the more. If you want to find true happiness, the first thing you must do is stop your search for happiness and recognize that first you need a savior. Finding a treasure this great doesn't mean that you can just make a few changes to your life and bolt Jesus around the edge. It demands nothing less than changing every single part of your life. But in doing so, you will find happiness and joy like you could never imagine. Don't settle for anything less than the greatest treasure in all the universe, Jesus Christ.